This is ContactTalkRadio.com. Consciousness in action. And you are taking action into your consciousness by tuning into Contact Talk Radio. And on TuneIn.com, Ying.fm, and Upsnap Mobile. Contact Talk Radio. Welcome to Living Fearlessly with your host, Lisa McDonald. My mama told me when I was young, we're all on superstars. She pulled my hair with my lipstick on, in a glass of purple dry. Morning, my name is Lisa McDonald, host of Living Fearlessly with the Contact Talk Radio Network. Listenership spans to 145 countries, 220 TV radio terrestrial satellites, and the potential for millions of iTunes downloads. Before formally inviting my guest and welcoming her to the program, I just want to first, as I always do, thank my corporate sponsors, Halt and Honda and Forever, for believing in myself, the content of my guest of each week. As well, I want to remind people and thank my family and friends over at C-Suite Radio Network and let it be known that following the live show, you can eventually find the podcast link also on my host page, Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald on C-Suite Radio Network. So who is my guest today? Well, I'm particularly jazzed for this guest today because I have a special, unique relationship with this phenomenal woman. Her name is Marnie Allison. She's one of my mentoring clients. She's a spitfire. She's a trailblazer, and you'll come to figure that out yourself throughout the course of the interview. So what can I tell you about Marnie? Well, throughout a 25-year career in police learning and development, Marnie Allison became an expert in problem analysis, research, design, delivery, and evaluation. As she worked with experts throughout the justice system, Marnie gained skills in leadership development, change management, dealing with diversity, and communication techniques. For Marnie, her career was a vocation rather than a job, and she passionately believed her work directly impacted the well-being of police officers and the public they serve. Three of her proudest achievements were the design of a Bachelor of Police and Justice Studies for the University of Regina, a redesign of training for child abuse investigations in Saskatchewan, and the redesign of recruit training to an integrated, experiential, and competency-based model for the Calgary Police Service. In 2015, Marnie accepted a retirement package from the City of Calgary and booked an epic five-month holiday. The trip was meant to be a bit of fun and relaxation before returning to full-time work in Calgary. Little did Marnie know the transformation awaiting her. Marnie is currently writing a book, Life Lessons, How a Gorilla, an Orphan, and a Monk Saved My Life. The memoir chronicles the challenging, humorous, and even tragic experiences she encountered while traveling solo in Africa and Southeast Asia as she struggled to recover from the losses of her parents, her job, and her identity. Marnie is now sharing her experiences and insights about life through storytelling. She blogs as she travels, sharing the history and culture of the countries she is visiting, as well as her own experiences, challenges, and perceptions. She recently posted an article, Beyond Fear and Familiarity, Finding Safe Harbors After Leaving a Toxic Life, for the online site Thrive Global, and she has posted articles on women's empowerment and Me Too on her personal Facebook page. Evident through her writing, Marnie is a proud Canadian, an intrepid traveler, an amateur photographer, and a lifelong learner, teacher, and mentor. Marnie believes travel encourages us to move beyond our fears and to explore outside the familiar so we can meet the world and the best version of ourselves in ways we might not have imagined. Just wow. Marnie, I want to welcome you to Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald. How are you, my friend? I'm very good, thank you, and excited to be here. Well, we're very excited to have you, too. This has been in the works for quite some time, and now the day has finally arrived. So I just want to jump right into it. Everybody who follows me, which I'm very, once again, grateful for, knows that my uh, particular approach to interviewing is very unscripted. It's organic. I think it makes for a much more authentic conversation. So the one thing I do, however, always uh, start off with, which I know the listeners would also be equally interested in knowing, is if you could take us because I'm always interested in the backstory, Marnie, and some of that has been obviously encapsulated in the bio. Um, but if you can tell myself and the loyal listeners and eventually the podcast subscribers, you know, how did you know that you were destined on this path? Was it a cathartic moment? Was it an, an aha moment? Was it sometimes we know from, um, you know, being in the depths of despair, we get that 
transformational shift where we go, okay, there's a bigger purpose for myself here, and this isn't just about me. It's about to take the collective along. You know, it could have been a mentor, a role model, something that came in your path that made you go, okay, this is what I want to do. Um, Well, a few things. I've always been a teacher and a mentor and enjoy that role very much. And Mm -hmm. it was a natural transition to um, go out of that from a formal employment position. But as I was traveling, I was, you know, looking at just having some fun, letting go of, you know, working for a long time, getting my head sorted out. But as I was traveling, I was meeting other people who were going through the same journey. And that mirror being reflected on myself, seeing their journeys, their their worries, and hearing how everybody was taking different ways to heal mm-hmm. um, made my journey that much easier. It, it made me calm down and say, you know what, you're not you're not alone. Mm-hmm. These are all universal concerns. And um, as I traveled, I started moving away from being, I suppose, in the victim mode, more to the looking at it and saying, what do I offer to other people? Can I help them also get through their journey? And I started to see people respond to that. And I had one case of a friend who had lost her mom the year before, and we were in Madagascar. Mm -hmm. And she was quite fearful of things. And she was looking at me and saying, like, you're traveling by yourself, and you're doing all of these things. Like, how are you doing that? Mm -hmm. And we, we got talking, and at the end of the trip, she decided to head out solo, and since then, she's been traveling for, uh, last year she traveled for six months by herself, and she's about to head out for another six-month trip this year. Wow. And we talked quite a bit about the fact that, you know, just by meeting one person, she changed her view. Mm-hmm. And, and I say, you know, I'm meeting people all the time that are challenging the notion of that the path is, you know, get out of school, get a job, have a family, uh, go to work every day, retire go play golf. That's great for some people and and, uh, everybody's got to work. Everybody's got to have a way of living. Mm -hmm. But we've also got to live while we're doing that. And I was in a position when my last few years of work, I had stopped enjoying life and was just going through the routine. Mm -hmm. And every day I would come home and say, that's not the life my parents were creating for me. It's not the life they modeled. I don't think this is what we're supposed to be doing. And so I was actively looking for ways to make sense of what was going on in my life and say, you can work hard, but you should be, you should be experiencing life. You should know what's out there and be happy to get up in the morning mm-hmm. and say, there's an adventure out there. Whether it's in Africa or whether it's in Calgary, there's an adventure out there every day. Beautiful. Beautiful. Absolutely true. Well, you and I have talked behind the scenes about certain subjects, which, you know, oftentimes do become stereotypical and stigmatizing. And I want to talk a little bit about that because a huge demographic of people who tune into this program are women. So when we talk about sometimes the viewpoints or the perception uh, other people hold of, you know, what justifies or what equates, what defines happiness, true happiness, a lot of people will jump to what they have been preconditioned to think. And yes, it works for some, doesn't work for all, or sometimes it's what you embark upon, but then it doesn't work out. So whether it's getting married doing things within a partnership or a union-type relationship, uh, you know, people feeling like they have to have children. Uh, some people, I believe, maternally are innately meant to have children if that all aligns, and there's different ways of having children outside of being in a partnership. Um, or, as you touched upon, traveling alone. A lot of people would not be able to conceive of doing that. People have a hard time going to the movies by themselves, never mind getting on a plane, staying in hostels, staying in retreats, uh, doing all these kinds of things solo. So what do you say to that, Marnie? Because I know from our discussions, again, that, you know, People have approached you with that line of questioning or thought maybe perhaps you're a bit odd. People think I'm a bit <laughs> odd. Um, you know, what would you say to, debu- to debunk some of that or to enlighten people? So a funny story. I was at my cousin's for dinner one night, and mm-hmm. they were talking about meeting a single woman while the family had been at a family resort in, in Mexico. And the young boy said, uh, what kind of loser would ever go travel by herself? Wow. And I was sitting there, so I had my hand up on my forehead like the funny <laughs> L sign. You know? And I was looking at him, and he's going on and on about, like, 
how strange is that? Like, why would you do that? And his mom's kind of signaling him, you know, like, Nathan, Nathan, stop, stop. And then he looks at me, and, of course, I started to laugh. And I said, well, the kind of person who uh, may not have friends available to go do what you want to do at that particular time, or the kind of person who just says, I I don't actually believe I'm alone when I travel solo. Love it. So there's two elements to that. Mm-hmm. One is that when I say I travel solo, so sometimes that means I actually go with a tour group that is designed to allow for single people to come into the group. When I traveled through East Africa, everybody on the on the trip, there were 30 of us, everybody but one couple was single. We were mm-hmm. all traveling solo. But by the time we're finished, we're not solo at all. I'm friends with some of those people now. Just met up with one of them in Peru a couple months ago. And so, um, you know, you look at that and you say part of that is to understand just because you're walking alone doesn't mean you are alone. Exactly. That that solo really means about what's the state of mind and, and how are you going to put yourself out there. Mm-hmm. I spend some of my time traveling really independently just by myself but again, I meet people all the time. So um, that means you have to put yourself out there. It means that you have to kind of have your head up as a woman. You have to be watching for safety factors. Mm-hmm. But you, you can sit down at um, a restaurant and meet people, um, go on day trips and you meet people. I've made friends that um, are still friends based on going on a day tour. And so it's really about saying, What's most important to me? Well, what's important to me is being out there and being able to experience the world. And if I'm doing that solo, so be it. Now, um, I always say to people, I am not lonely mm-hmm. being solo in my life or being solo when I travel. Do I have moments of loneliness? Yes, I do. Do I have friends who are married and have people surrounding them and are lonely? Yes, I do. Yes. So that's about the headspace that you're in, not the physical space. Absolutely. Well put. And so what has all of your extensive traveling and your individual experiences within your travels, how has that further enriched you spiritually? What has that done for your level of self-awareness and your clarity in terms of figuring out where else you want to go on the trajectory of your life? And the obvious component in terms of the timing of you having embarked upon traveling in terms of it being a cathartic healing process for you. What has this all done for you? Right. So when I did my trip through Africa and Asia, it was supposed to be a little bit of fun. <laughs> and what started to happen is, first of all, I started to physically let go of the stress and to to just be in the moment. And so that in itself is a big achievement. And then as I traveled on, the emotional letting go of years of um, being an outsider within a job where I loved the work, but I, I walked to a different beat there. And that was okay. That was actually my role, and I cherished it. But it had an emotional toll. So that started to unwind, particularly when I was dealing with the young children in South Africa. And they were just so loving and accepting, and it was there was no judgment. There was just acceptance. Mm-hmm. And then when I hit Asia, I went through a very spiritual experience in terms of coming to terms with the death of my parents, not just as um, understanding that they were gone and, you know, that I was no longer crying and all those kinds of things that are associated with the first days of grief, but that I wanted to be able to celebrate their lives and look back and and say, you know, I'm honoring their lessons by how I live. Mm-hmm. And so... In Cambodia, I finally reached that point where I was sitting there and I thought to myself, if your parents could see you right now, they would be thrilled to -hmm. see the level of contentment and calmness and letting go of the fear of being alone, the fear of what's the future going to look like, who's going to be there when I'm in my old age, on and on. All these things that I had created in my mind as these great big barriers and on this trip and in, in travel generally, I have been able to let go and say it will take care of itself. People mm-hmm. will be there when I need them to be there. And as I was sitting there thinking that, you know, calm down and life is okay and you truly are not alone, I realized it's not just about who's around me in, on, on earth, but who's around me in terms of my spiritual understanding and in terms of the lessons that I've learned from my parents and everyone else around me. 
And I just felt such a calmness Mm -hmm. and such an acceptance that I'm just part of the universal experience. And as I was sitting there, two butterflies came and landed on my hand together. Lovely. Couple, Couple beats. I looked at it as if I could feel the wings of angels for that few seconds. And then they went off. And I thought, there it is. When you stop chasing it, when you stop worrying about it, it will come and land on your hand or your lap or in your heart. And I thought, I think I, for the first time in my life, understand what spirituality is about. Wow. I got goosebumps when you said that. Thank you for sharing that. Beautiful. And so... As far as other people perhaps being impeded by doubt, uncertainty, fear, and that being one of the reasons perhaps why things like traveling abroad alone would scare them, it would not be on their radar, it would not be anything that they would naturally conceive of, you know, what do you think, regardless of the circumstance or the passion or the journey or whatever else we could be talking about or referencing here outside of travel, what is it you believe, Marnie, that keeps people stuck and immobilized by fear. What do you, where do you think that trepidation comes from? What do you think that's founded on? Well, I think a lot of that is is just general expectations, particularly mm-hmm. in North America, the sense that there's a predetermined path of mm-hmm. what success looks like, and um, a lot of pressure to follow along those traditional modes. And you know, we're pretty critical sometimes of people who work outside of that. So I've been working on my book and and doing some extra travel since that big trip to Africa and Asia. I just came home from South America. And lots mm-hmm. of people kind of critical of the way that I'm living right now. And I look at that and I say, that's fine. Choose the path you want, but choose the path. Mm-hmm. So if, if the traditional path is where you're at, I went through that. I needed to do that. But if you if you're just doing it blindly, then that's not living, that's not being cognizant of what the world has to offer. And when you're doing even a traditional path, are you paying attention to what's happening around you? Or are you just buying the party line, the marketing that's in front of you? And so that's what I say to people is, you know, it's it's okay to live that way, but do it with consciousness. Beautiful. And so when you have these encounters where you feel perhaps judged or misunderstood or people judging and assessing your choices in life and that coming up, if people feel bold enough to outwardly express that to you, how do you handle that in terms of it being a teaching lesson or mirroring it back to them? Um, It depends who it's coming from. So I have some people who are really trying to grapple with it, maybe because they're grappling with their own issues and... Mm -hmm. They're looking and they're saying, is there a model here that I can follow? And a lot of those people, what I say to them is just do it. Try it in a small scale if you're not used to it. I didn't. That wasn't my first trip. I had been traveling solo for years. So um, do you think I didn't have some nightmares before I headed out for Africa by myself? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I had lots of that. I did it anyway, right? So that's what I always say to them. Do it anyway. Mm-hmm. And And there's ways of doing things so that you're not completely alone. Um, you know, get the assistance of professional travel people or join a, a, one of these groups like I talked about. Um, so there's all sorts of ways to to try and get at that. Now, I have some people, yeah, they feel like they can be pretty critical and they make statements. And and um, I look at where is their headspace and what are they at. Mm-hmm. And um, I just don't buy into it anymore. I just look at that and say, that's your choice, not mine. I, I had a brother who was really concerned when I was going to do this travel, and he, you know, had a thousand reasons why this was not a good thing. And finally, I had to say to him, those concerns, those fears, those are your fears. Mm-hmm. They're actually the reason I like travel. I actually <laughs> like being off, off kilter. I actually like meeting people that I don't share the language. I think it's amazing experience to try and find the universal language. Um, I think it's amazing to see other religions and other cultures and sometimes to be standing there going, I don't actually know what I'm seeing in front of me, but that's okay. And so when people share their fears and they're stuck in it, if I think that they want to get unstuck, then I'll have that conversation. But if I think they're doing it to justify their own position or that they're really just so inundated with perception of what they think should be, 
Mm-hmm. Should is an irrational statement. So I just ignore it. It's just like I have to choose my life. I have to choose things as long as I'm not hurting someone else or mm-hmm. I'm not putting myself in jeopardy. Why would I not do it? Beautiful. So is your brother all sorted out now? Um, he's, he's coming to it. You know, I, like I just went to South America and I was in a couple of countries where he was like, really? Like, why would you go there? And those countries are associated with not pleasant things. Mm-hmm. And I said, look, you know now that I know how to travel and to take care of myself. And if I come across something that makes me uncomfortable, I get out of that. Mm-hmm. I go away from that or I don't go somewhere. If people have told me, don't go there right now. I don't go there. I'm, I'm not. I'm not an unsafe traveler. Right. I, I did my research and I know where I'm headed for. And you know, I worked in justice for a long time. I've I've been around stuff. I I'm aware that there are things that can go wrong. So I, Fantastic. you know, I have to watch for that. But that doesn't stop me. Fantastic. So you and I both being writers and you know and uh, seeing things very much. Uh, from an abstract level when we look at life or when we uh, embrace life, if we talk about the metaphor or the analogy of the summit, you know, for somebody who travels as extensively as what you do and knowing how uh, impassioned you are by that, what does the summit represent for you in terms of climbing it? What What is at the top? What is be- being at the top of the summit indicative of for you personally, spiritually, intellectually, soulfully? What is that, Marnie? When I am doing that kind of travel, I'm mm-hmm. my best version of myself. Love not it. my perfect, not my perfect version. I, I'm a bit of a perfectionist to have had to let go of that. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the big lessons that I learned when I was doing that. I was often uncomfortable. I was often afraid. I was often complaining about how much further do we climb this mountain before we <laughs> get there? And, and, uh, you know, and, and sometimes doubting. Can I actually do this? Like, can I actually make it to that, to that top? And then you get there and you go, wow, you know, like every step of pain brought me to this view and what could be better? And when you do it once, then you say, Hey, I did it before. I can do it again and I can do it again. But what I like best about myself when I'm doing that is I'm just my best version. I'm calmer. I'm better with people. I'm more interested in life. I'm, I'm nicer to myself. Mm-hmm. And 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 how can you not be amazed by what you can see at the summit? Like, Beautiful. how can you not? Beautiful. And so since you've embarked upon this entire journey that we call Marnie's life, um, <laughs> <laughs> and it's been a fascinating one, I have to say, what has been the most profound shift that has unfolded within you in terms of you being able to really crystallize for yourself the barometer of measuring your own growth and to the degree that you have catapulted into your own greatness of becoming the best, most improved version of yourself? Um, well, two things. I think one is the letting go of fear. Mm-hmm. Or, or as I say, it's, it's not the absence of fear, it's doing it anyhow. Mm-hmm. And, um, sort of recognizing that's always going to be part of life. Um, just as you get settled into a job, you get a new boss, or you, you move out of your job and you retire, all, all of these changes, um, have an element of putting you off balance. And I think that that's one of the big things is, you know, you've got to learn to be off balance and to, um, Embrace that and mm-hmm. to say, you know, if you want to move to a different way of living, you have to let go of the old. Mm-hmm. And for me, the letting go of the old was really letting go of the fear of being alone. Mm-hmm. I'm single. I've never been married. I don't have children. And so, you know, sometimes it's easy to fall into that. Oh, my God, like I'm going to be an old lady and, and you know, who's who's going to be pushing my wheelchair? And then you kind of go, you know, let it go. Like just mm-hmm. let it go. Um and keep moving forward, and if you're touching people's lives, you will have people around you. The, those things will get taken care of. And so I think for myself, um, I've spent a lot of time in the last couple of years doing some of that personal development and saying, um, I don't want to just be my best self when I'm on holiday. I want to mm-hmm. be my best self that I present to people all of the time. Bingo. Bingo. Love that. So in terms of 
keeping your own mindset in check. And because we know that there's constant chatter, we know that there's resistance, there's dualities that uh, exist within us. You know, we can logically understand why it would be counterintuitive uh, to self-dialogue in a way that is berating ourselves or undermining ourselves or invalidating ourselves. We're human. We struggle with that. But to the degree that you keep it at bay, and as you say, step into it anyway, what are some of your rituals, some of your mantras, some of your daily practices? Because I know the listeners always love to hear this from the individual guests of each week. Sure. So one of the things I'm much more mindful about now is trying to do a little bit of meditation and mm-hmm. I'm not talking the, you know, cross legs and um kind of thing. Right. I'm talking about that, that if I'm sitting on a park bench, I'm looking around it and I'm actually breathing in and I'm, I'm looking at what's around me. I'm listening to the sounds. I'm listening to the wind, whatever, and really absorbing that and, and being aware of the fact that I'm just one element of this incredible world. That is a really calming technique for me. So whether that's on my back, deck or in the winter maybe I'm sitting looking out into my backyard or I go for a walk or I do something I've also recently started trying to um, have notes around my house for example if I'm really feeling down then I need Mm -hmm. that pep talk I have a number of really powerful friends that I can go to and also you know something like hiring a coach like you Mm -hmm. that I can go to and say you know I'm working on this book and I'm loving it but I'm I'm stuck. I'm struggling. I can't quite figure out how to move forward. So having, you know, professional help is also really powerful. And um, I recently wrote a proclamation for myself. It was part of an online course I was doing that I read every morning and I look at that and I say, if you say that you're a teacher, what did you do today that shows that that's true? If you say you're an adventure, what did you do today that says that that's true? And so I've been trying to actively use some of those techniques. And the last thing I do is that because I travel, I try to collect art as I travel. Mm -hmm. And sometimes when I'm kind of feeling just a little out of sorts, I go around and I look at that art and I actively think about what I was doing while I was purchasing it, where I was at and what I was feeling. And that reminds me, hey, you know what? You've had your lows, you've had your highs. These are the symbols of the the journeys that you've taken and you will take again and the good times come and the bad times come and they all pass. And so move on to the next and be prepared for it. Fantastic. I want to go back to what you said about proclamations because that's something that's very near and dear to my heart. I could talk about that at nauseum. Um, I love proclamations, but the way in which you particularly phrased that I thought was very well put, very succinct, very clear to understand. And I think, too, in the way that you preface that, it really does lend true to the importance of accountability. You know, yes. so yes, if I say that I'm a teacher, what did I do today to exemplify that, to demonstrate that, to walk my talk with that, to be integral with that, and to be authentically true and aligned with that? Um, I think that's amazing. And so do your proclamations to support also wanting to momentously grow, do they change or do you keep them basically the same so as to show the consistency of you honoring yourself? Um, so I have one that is, is right now representative of where I'm at and what I'm trying to achieve. Mm-hmm. I would suspect that a year from now it will be a little bit different mm-hmm. because um, some of those things have some some specific, specific things behind it. But the general principles, it's values-based statements. It's about I represent this, so that will stay the same. What does change are my goals or the the individual things that I say, okay, I'm going to prove that I'm a teacher by doing this this year. And what does that look like? That changes all the time. Fantastic. So I also want to talk about, because I do, of course, interview a lot of authors um, and a lot of people who have the so-called book having had come to fruition. It's on Amazon. It's, you know, Barnes and Nobles. It's in Chapters, Coles, Indigo, whatever the case may be. But I know that the, the listeners who, t- who tune in here, they want to know the real struggle. You know, for something that we say that we're endeavoring to do, for something that we're manifesting and not just throwing it out there wishy-washy into the universe, but, of course, coupled by massive action and and self-discipline, because really 
anything that you strive to endeavor to do requires those core essential ingredients, I truly believe. So for somebody like yourself who's endeavoring to write this book, um, you know, let's talk about the reality because I want people who are on the fence, who are listening to this program and listening to you specifically, Marnie, who are thinking, you know, I have a message too and I really feel a calling to write a book. There's something bigger than myself that needs to be shared with the rest of the world, which in fact can catapult other people into the trajectory of their lives and take things vertical. So let's talk about some of the the blocks that you mentioned. Let's talk about some of the the momentum issues or, uh, you know, because I, I want people to hear that from you, somebody who is definitely all in invested to write this book and to make it eventually a finished product, what you do to keep yourself in the zone, to keep yourself on track. Let's talk about the realness of that. So, yeah, you know, discipline is probably the biggest issue, mm-hmm. particularly for me right now because I'm not working, so I've had freedom to come and go. And it's very easy to let the rest of the world um, take over and, you know, little things that you keep doing and then you're too tired to work on the book. Mm-hmm. So the biggest thing is I have the best momentum when I have focused time mm-hmm. that I've scheduled in and that I keep trying to follow that schedule. So if I treat it like it's a job that I have to sit down and do that work. The other thing is I keep um, notes around so that as ideas pop into my head, I get it down right then and then take it back and do that. Having said that, when I sat down and started writing, I, I had been blogging while I was traveling and people were saying, oh, you should make this into a book. But what I was writing when I was blogging and what the book has sort of transformed into changed quite dramatically. And part of it was because when I started reading the book, I didn't realize what I now know. So some of the changes that I went through in in the trip, I could have said, yeah, I changed, but I couldn't tell you why. But as I was trying to encapsulate it in the book, all of a sudden I was going, oh, my God, like that's the point where this changed for me. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't even aware of it at the time. And so sometimes I have to actually put it down and, and let that process a little bit and say, okay, um, the book has changed. You're, you're no longer just doing sort of a travel log. This really is about this journey from physical, emotional, spiritual change. And, um, so, you know, I've had to occasionally rewrite sections and say, yeah, that's still not quite what I wanted to say. But each time, of course, it gets more powerful and it starts to, I start to say, oh, here's the message. This is mm-hmm. the message I want to share with people. And so I've learned I have to be much more patient. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to, I have to have more schedule. I have to, um, say this has to be a priority and it has to be something I'm living and breathing. Otherwise, it's really easy to walk away from. Mm-hmm. And the other big challenge that I've faced, and I know you and I have talked about this, is I had some really interesting, you know, events and, and in fact, also some tragedies. So I actually ran into a situation where one of the people in the hotel beside me had a heart attack and myself and the guide were involved in trying to save his life. And so, you know, you go back into those things and you're, wow, okay, you know, I let go of that emotion and now I have to revisit it again and again. And mm-hmm. how, how do you, how do you do that and make sense of what's, what's going on? But also, you know, you're going, well, is anybody else going to care? Like, does anybody else <laughs> get any value out of this? Like, so what if I got a flat tire, you know, as we were looking for the lions, right? You know, or, or, and, you know, like, so what was a really profound moment with me with those gorillas? Well, you know, is that the same for everybody else? So that's probably been the hardest thing for me is that, you know, you have a message. You got to keep focusing on the message. Stay true to that and and it will come. If you get too in your own, own mind, which I have a tendency to do, of saying, oh, well, people are going to judge that and say, well, why were you in that space to begin with? Or you should have been this, you should have been that. Or, you know, then I can get myself tied up in knots. And it not only stops me from writing the book, it stops me from celebrating what I learned. So I have to stop and say, it doesn't matter. I'm going to I'm going to finish this book and I'm going to publish this work and if nobody reads it that would be a tragedy because I think there's lots to share Beautiful. but I've already learned so somebody has learned from it 
Absolutely. Well, you said a few things that I thought were very key, and I'm going to revisit that. So, one, your book, I Care, and I know that I'm not going to be the only one that cares and is looking forward to when it's completed uh, and when it's, you know, purchasable and we get our little uh, personal inscription from you. Because what I love about you, Marnie, is, you know – you're such a deep person and you see the abstract and you see things from a devil's advocate standpoint. Um, you know, you're not one dimensional in your thinking. And I know for what I know of you and the time that we've spent talking about different things that are pertinent to you and, you know, make you exactly who you are. Um, there's a deeper meaning. There will always be a deeper meaning in anything that you blog, anything that you write, because that's what you speak about, right? Everything that comes out of your mouth is an advertisement into the window of your soul. I truly believe that. And so even just in this interview, um, because I've never personally met you, because you do live in Calgary and I live in Ontario, but of course we know we can still work together regardless of the distance geographically. Uh, but for the people who are listening too, I mean, you know, you are a woman with substance. You are a woman who has experienced so many things and dissected so many paramount, pivotal uh, nuggets of information which anybody could benefit from whether they encountered your exact same circumstances or not. And the fact that that would be your mission in wanting to accomplish in the writing of this book, it's these are my stories. These are yeah. the deeper meanings that I was able to extrapolate. And I know that this could be of service to you. This could be of benefit to you. This could, you know, be cathartic for you. And yeah. so I, I know where this book is going to go. And, um, and I'm really proud of you. I'm really, I'm really proud of you staying true to yourself and staying the course for everything that you've identified as being fundamentally important to you, whether it be the healing process, whether it be traveling solo, whether it be getting yourself in a space of being daily disciplined in which to embark upon continually writing this book until it's done. Um, but there's, I mean, you are a storyteller, I mean, yeah. you you truly are a storyteller, and I thoroughly enjoy you. I think you're a very yummy person. Thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. So, you know, if we could talk about also, because, I mean, for somebody who is wired, pre-wired with your DNA, um, as much as you would be cognizant of the importance of remaining present in the moment and really getting the message within the moment and that seeping in, you know, there's also outside of your book, there would be other things that you would wish to endeavor to do as somebody who is a visionary, somebody who uh, likes to challenge themselves, somebody who's always looking for an adventure in which to become even more enlightened, more empowered than what you already are. So do you have a sense of what the scope of the future may look like in terms of what's on your so-called bucket list? Um, well, I've recently joined an international service club. and. Mm-hmm. Um, Last night, I actually went to a presentation where we're looking at diving into some truth and reconciliation programs mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. try and help educate people more about the issues that are around that. And mm-hmm. um, what was very telling, you know, the couple of questions were asked. Most of the people there were a little bit older. So um, the question was asked about how much people knew about what actually is involved in that. And uh, only two people had ever had formal education around it, other than myself. Those two had had it in school. And mm-hmm. I was in university before I ever had anything. So that's one of those topics that I think for a Canadian is really important. This is going to be our future. This is the debate that we need to get our heads into. Mm-hmm. And that starts with us having some basic understanding. So I've traveled in places like Cambodia and South Africa and and, um, you know, Australia, and you, it's easy to look at what's happening in other countries and, and dissect what they've done. I met a guy in South Africa, and I was asking him, how old were you when apartheid was on? So mm-hmm. we were talking about his experience, and, and he was sharing with me, you know, like, I never knew that it was wrong. I didn't know that that wasn't how everybody did it. <laughs> and he said, now I look back and I think, what, what, what was I thinking? Like, how come I didn't know that? Mm-hmm. I see some of that same blindness here. So I, I have a hope that in the next few years, we're going to have really 
great dialogue. And I think if any country can handle it well, it's Canada, that we have enough experience and and um, perspective to be able to look at the hard issues and look at them from a universal human perspective mm-hmm. and say, let's move forward. So that's one of the things that's there. The other thing is that I'm more and more interested in the international social development and um, in trying to get the voices of women and children represented. A lot of the photography I do is around showing women and children and trying to get people to understand a little bit of the dynamics of women's empowerment and um, of what that looks like and what we as women in the Western world still have big struggles. And there's there's a lot of support that I am hoping I can show women mm-hmm. to say stand strong Um it's 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 a universal thing as well, but also stand proud that we sit in some pretty privileged positions. Yes. So let's let's have the dialogue from the perspective of we sit in a privileged position and we are fighting for certain kinds of things. But we need to make sure that the women and children of the world and, and therefore all humanity are affected in ways that are positive and that we that we get the dialogue happening that we're not reading about young women like um you know being shot in the face because they wanted to go to school right so i have a you know a, a real passion to try and get some of these discussions on the table and to say not not in an accusatory way not in a negative way but in an mm-hmm. empowering way and in an empowering way that lets women and men out of the box Love it. Love it. Good for you. Now, you said something, too, when you were talking about your photography and how you use the pictures, uh, you know, what you choose to make your subject matter. You know, I see this being a second book for you, actually. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I see that. Very, that makes- yeah. I very much see that becoming a second book for you. Um, <clears throat> but when we talk about also, the this, this certain specific places in which you've traveled to, Marnie, I mean, you're already an innately uh, very humble, very grateful person. But I can imagine for some of what you've witnessed and knowing to the degree that you can contrast the difference of being somebody in Canada, how we are privileged and, you know, what we do have versus uh, many people who don't have, so the haves and the have-nots. So what has that done to accentuate your level of gratitude? Well, I've always been a very proud Canadian. My yeah. grandfather was one of seven people who was involved in the first design of what eventually became Medicare. So I have big footprints to fall in. And um, I look at some of the things and, and I listen to some of the dialogue and I'm very much about problem solving yeah. and about using multiple services, multiple ways of approaching problem solving. And I always look at things and say anything is possible. I have been <laughs> accused of being an idealist and I stand proudly <laughs> in that accusation. And, and I say, hey, look, you know what? I've actually worked and seen some pretty awful things. So if I can still stand with some idealism, I'll take it. And I I look at that and I say, um, you know, we we can we can make this a better world. We have to work at that. We have to um, embrace the things that we have and be grateful for that. I'll, I'll give you an example. When I was in Bali, I had a, a medical issue, and I had to go try and find a doctor. And they didn't know it, but they actually delivered me to a um, a clinic that deals with maternity issues. Wow. So I'm sitting there and the doctor came up and she said, who are you waiting for? And I said, myself. <laughs> she looked at me, you know, I'm, I'm menopausal female. So she, and she went, you're pregnant? <laughs> and I went, pregnant? Like, and then I looked around and realized like, oh, okay, you know, here you are. Anyhow, so, you know, there I am, you know, having to, to do some medical procedures in this clinic. And when I finished, I said, well, you know, how much is it? And they said, well, it's donation. And I went, oh, okay, you know. So as it happened, all I really had on me was about $20 U.S. equivalency. So that's what I gave them. And and then they looked at me like, what do you, you know, you're crazy to give that much money. Wow. And in Laos, one of my students was hurt in a motorcycle accident. So the kids were gathering money amongst themselves to try and help support his family because a lot of these kids they come into school but they're also working full time mm-hmm. and they're taking care of their family. 
So I threw in, you know, ten, twenty dollars, something like again, they were like, Oh my god, like how can this be? And I thought, This is incredible. I saw that everywhere I went that you know, I've spent five dollars on buying a bottle of Coke and I gave five dollars to these women in Rwanda. That was practically a week's wage for them. Wow. And so I was sitting there going, you know, how can you how can you not appreciate what we have here? when you see how little people have, but also understand that these people are not unhappy. Mm-hmm. Some of them are in crisis, right? You need you need to recognize that. But lots of them, they are grateful for what they have. They're happy. They've got their family. They, they've got their health. They're fed. They're happy. And so you, you look at that and you say, how can someone who has so little be so happy and people who have so much be discontent. And so that's another, you know, takeaway for me that it was like the, the happiness that you experience, the contentment, the gratitude, it doesn't come from the material things. That's it right. comes from, from recognizing the balance of, um, now that's not to say it's a bad thing to be in a wealthy country. We can use that for good. We can, we can make sure that we extend a hand out to help other people if that's possible for us. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's one of those things where you say it's a real balance between understanding that what you have is sufficient and that having more gives you the gift of being able to give more. Absolutely. And, and when you approach it from that perspective, you you can't be anything but proud as a Canadian to represent human rights, to represent women's freedom. Dealing with these young girls that I was teaching in Laos, I never once talked about being female or feminist issues. But by virtue of the fact that I was standing in front of the classroom, helping them to find their voice, I've had an impact on them. So I look at those things and I say, you know, I'm so proud to be Canadian. I'm I'm so proud that we have um, represented ourselves well in the world. And I see that of other Canadians when they're traveling. Mm -hmm. And um, and, you know, I I want to stay proud and I want to stay grounded in the gratitude for everything I have. I get up every day and say a little thank you to my parents. The fact that they were good business people and that they gave me the roots to belong to Canada and the wings to be able to fly and to go other places and, and be, be um, able to experience those things. Mm-hmm. But I'm always thrilled to step back on to home ground and say, wow, you know, this place is spectacular and, and proud of that. Beautiful, Marnie. Well, you touched upon something, um, my takeaway from what it was you said, and I, I believe in it wholeheartedly myself, and in fact, it's been discussed oftentimes on radio. It's like, you know, if you're not already, already grateful for what it is you currently have, what makes you think that you would be grateful with more? Right. Right? Yeah. Uh, I see so many people who are in the um, pursuit of wealth for the pursuit of wealth. And mm-hmm. I always look at them and say, you know, I really applaud the fact that you're working hard, uh, but I don't applaud the fact that you're giving up your life for the, the collection of that money. Work hard to get that money and to have those things and have joy and share that with people. Mm-hmm. So if that's that you buy a boat and you take your family out boating every night, that's wonderful. But if you're working until 10 o'clock at night, and then going back and starting the day over so that you somehow have this accumulation of wealth, mm-hmm. then then I think you're missing the point of why why have the wealth in the first place mm-hmm. if you're not if you're not using it for the betterment of yourself and the people around you. And you know, ideally maybe to help out some other people who maybe don't have all the same options that we do. Mm-hmm. Very true. Very true. And you know what? That could be another segment that we later bring you back on to talk about because, um, and you and I have talked about this too, in terms of the abundant prosperity mindset and some of the misnomers that are attached to that too. People assume that if you have money, and I'm not by any means suggesting this is what you're intimating at all because I know your stance on this, um, but in terms of, you know, the attractor factor or abundance uh, or wealth, you know, people presume that people who aspire to have that in their lives, it's just solely for themselves and not to be in a better position to not only pay it forward and to be of service to other people, but to reach more people. And we see that with philanthropy. We see that with the Oprah Winfrey's. We see that with 
you know, all kinds of people who the bigger their wealth, the bigger their bank account, the bigger their hearts. And I think yeah. sometimes people assume or presume, uh, and this goes back to the old scripting and, and conditioning, that people who have money are awful or they're evil um, yeah. or thinking that, that they're obsessed with it when, in yeah. fact, it's not. You know, people should no. be rewarded for their hard work, particularly if their mission or vision is to, to anchor people up and to help them in their journey. Um, but anyway, again, we could talk about that at nauseum. But uh, being cognizant of time, Marnie, and knowing I have to say goodbye to people here outside of yourself, what would you want to be your last parting words here to the listening audience? Any nugget that you can give them to uh, uplift them to fear less and to live more? Um, I just say there is an amazing world out there. Mm-hmm. I think that travel is one of the best ways to um, expose yourself to understanding the things that are out there. And I'm not talking about going to the resort and sitting at the beach all day. I'm talking <laughs> about travel where you actually get on the ground and you meet the locals and you understand the history and yeah. um, partake of the food and a bit of the culture and, and um, get to know yourself. And get to know the people around you. Mm-hmm. And when you do that, your world expands so dramatically. And so um, travel on. Beautiful. Beautiful. And where can people find you very quickly, Marnie, if they want to reach uh, out? So um, I have a Facebook page under Marnie Allison, or you can MarnieA1 at mm-hmm. telus.net. Fantastic. Well, I want to thank you once again for the gift of your time, Marnie. I love working alongside you. I learned so much from you, um, and I'm a better person for having you in my life. And I can probably say that would be true for anybody who's come across your path, whether it be abroad on your travels or here just locally for you in Calgary. Um, I just, I really appreciate you. Thank so to you. my listening, yeah, thank you. So to my listening audience, I want to thank you once again for taking time out of your busy schedules for tuning into my guest of each week. My guest, of course, today being Marnie Allison. And I want to thank you for being now one of over half a million podcast subscribers. I want to say how grateful I am to now be up on iHeartRadio, which is great for anybody who I'm showcasing because their message is equally important uh, to them as it is to me in terms of resonating with the collective and anchoring people up. So I want to say thank you to Halton Honda and to Forever, my corporate sponsors, for again believing in myself, my guest, and the content that we bring to you each week. I want to thank C-Suite Radio Network, where, of course, following the live show, you can eventually find the podcast link uh, for the interview that I share with my guest of each week. And I just want to uplift you to fear less and to live more. I'm very clear on what my purpose is. And uh, going into Father's Day weekend, I wish all you people out there who provide that nurturing role, whatever capacity, whether it be blood-related or not, I want to say thank you for your contributions to humanity and for being the person that you are and for giving back. And uh, I'll be here next Friday, as I always am, 8 a.m. Pacific, 10 Central, 11 Eastern, uplifting you to fear less and to live more. Love and gratitude. Take care. All my best. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Living Fearlessly with your host, Lisa McDonald. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.